Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. Hi, I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And I'm Charles Epting of HR Harmer in New York City. And this is Conversations with Philatelists. Now, Charles, this time we thought we'd do something a little different. Yeah, but it, it sort of ties into something that we've kicked around a bit um, uh, amongst ourselves for the yeah. last couple of months where, you know, there's so many other great hobbies out there and so many that I've sort of dabbled in throughout the course of my life. I'm sure mm -hmm. you have as well. Um, and we wanted to reach out to people and see what are the similarities and differences between ourselves and some other people. And coincidentally, yeah, we, we were beat to the punch. We did. Again, <laughs> we, we, what happens when we talk about something this long? Yeah. But uh, we were contacted by Kent and Amit from Cardboard Culture. Yeah, who uh, run a, a, a sort of started similar time frame to ours. They started yeah. a baseball card podcast, a trading card mm -hmm. podcast. Right. Um, and, and, you know, looking back through the list of guests, they've been great about reaching out to, um, you know, people, whether it's a Star Wars autograph collector or traditional baseball card collectors or people mm -hmm. who just specialize in one tiny facet of the trading card hobby. They've been great yeah. about branching out and incorporating all sorts of people. So we were really excited uh, when they reached out to us and, uh, and last night we were on their live stream. I think um, yeah. <laughs> they, they'd, they'd hoped to have us for an hour. Yeah. And uh, they got stuck with um, uh, two and a half hours of us. Two and a half hours, yeah. So, so yeah, we are going to do something different this week. Why don't you explain what, uh, what listeners can expect? So we want to – it was a fantastic conversation. Um, it was a great conversation for people who are kind of just getting started in the hobby. They were really trying to find out what stamp collecting, what philately is about. So what we're going to do now is we're going to – show you the first 47 and a half minutes um natural very, break very in conversation um first 47 minutes of the um interview where we just talked to kent and amit and then if you're interested in the rest please go over to their channel we'll have links in the description we'll have links to their twitter they also have um audio podcast on google Podcasts, spotify uh apple podcasts that you can, we will also put links in the description for that to continue to listen to the yeah, rest of the Yeah, don't just listen to us. Actually, yeah. don't yeah. listen to us at all. Listen to all of their <laughs> other wonderful guests. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it would be my recommendation. So I really enjoyed talking to them last night and let's um, let's let's hand it over to yeah. Cardboard Culture. Yeah. So welcome everybody to episode number 31 for tonight. We're honored to have, and that's right, not just one, but two. Uh, the gentlemen we're about to introduce you tonight are what is known as philatelists. What is a philatelist? It's one who collects and or studies stamps. Yes, yeah, so we'll be talking about the world of stamp collecting, the synergies of stamp collecting and card collecting. So please welcome the host of the YouTube channel, Conversationist with Philatelists, Michael Cortez and Charles Epting to the show. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey. Thank you. Thank you guys very much for having us. No, thank no you for problem. being here. And I'd like to mention that they're very well dressed. Um, <laughs> so... Just make sure, you know, that's a good representation of the, that end of the hobby, and we're wearing T-shirts, so you get to see where we stack. <laughs> so, gentlemen, can you give uh, the both, can the both of you give us a little introduction as to how Philately started for the, each of you? Uh, when did it all start, and what is it about stamp, stamp collecting that keeps you hooked to this day? So, uh, one of you take with it to start? Michael, I'll turn it over to you first. All right. Sure. Yeah. Um... My introduction to the hobby started around eight years old with my father, um, third generation philatelist. He, uh, when he started me in the hobby, he wasn't just a philatelist himself. He was a stamp dealer as well. So he would go out and buy collections either privately 
or from auction houses and then and then repackage them and, and ship them to other auction houses or sell them to other collectors privately. So I kind of got into the hobby at a young age on more of the um, pricing material, selling material style. So he would have me price items, find items, obviously not at eight years old, but then as I got older, uh, high school, college, things like that, I would start buying collections with him. And he would bring me into the hobby to show me the passion that other collectors have and kind of the what we can do to help other people find their collections so i had a lot more um sort of circuitous route to the hobby than michael michael was sort of born into it and raised with it and, and didn't have uh, much of a much of a chance i guess you could say um <laughs> I, I i was born with the collector gene so growing up um it was baseball cards it was fossils it was legos it was books it was everything um, really, except for stamps, even a little bit of coin collecting, but stamps just never caught my interest. I don't know why, mm -hmm. um, but it just wasn't wasn't a part of my my makeup um, until I got to college. Um, I was at the University of Southern California, was looking for some sort of hobby that would help keep me busy, something that initially would be affordable and small, um, which very quickly I realized that stamp collecting stops being affordable and small um, <laughs> at, a, at a very fast pace. But um, really, for me, it just started as a way to pass the time. I was studying sort of the cultural history of the 1920s and 30s, and I just got to thinking, what were stamps like back then? Um, so I started buying them on eBay. You can buy, you know, a couple of stamps for, you know, 100 stamps for a dollar or whatever. And I just started doing that, just amassing more and more stamps and putting them into my album. Um, and from there, it just sort of grew into uh, more and more a part of my life until I was presented with the opportunity to um, you know, make it a, a full-time career, uh, which was not the path I was planning on taking in life. But, um, you know, you sort of reach these crossroads and you, you can't say no to certain opportunities. And um, yeah, I've only been collecting stamps for probably about seven years now. Um, and I've been in the business for five of those years. So uh, it's all been sort of uh, very, very rapid since I discovered my love of, of this hobby. If you did hit on one thing. It, they are small. <laughs> they are. They are. Uh, the problem is you can get a lot of them really easily. <laughs> and then you end up with bankers boxes full of stamps and, and albums full of stamps. And uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of deceptive in that way. It, exactly. Exactly. That, but um, just really tiny, you know, much smaller and thinner than, than the cards. <laughs> um, so, so when it comes to stamp play for both of you, so what, what is it? about the stamps is it like the picture the story like what is it that that makes you still be interested in the hobby right now for me when i started out um it was all about the design i was really drawn to some of the more classic newfoundland some of the french uh issues canada you know the the designs that they put on these stamps were just absolutely breathtaking um some of the french colonies from the the 20s 30s 40s they were just gorgeous but now as i grow into the hobby more it's definitely the stories it's definitely the more of the postal history more of the journeys that the that the covers go on the history behind the scarce issues themselves so it's it, what draws you in is the is the eye appeal and then i feel like what what hooks you what gets you is is the stories I don't mean, I feel like I'm just going to take an opposing. <laughs> so, so for me early on, because um, I was collecting mostly American stamps, common stuff from the early 20th century. And the designs are nice. You know, oh, that's 
Teddy Roosevelt or that's Martha Washington. They're they're fine. They're kind of your standard, you know, bread and butter presidents and founding fathers and things. For me, it was it was just the thought that um, again, I was studying the 20s and 30s very heavily. So the thought that Franklin Roosevelt could have used this stamp or F. Scott Fitzgerald could have used this stamp. Mm, and, yes. and even if you know, even if it, even your everyday person, your 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 average boy or girl in the 1920s, this is what they would have licked and stuck on a letter. Who knows yeah. what that letter may have contained? For me, it was just very evocative that somebody a century ago, um, you know, used this. And um, you know, coins are are neat, and you can certainly imagine coins changing hands. But stamps, the fact that by using them, you sort of necessarily have to destroy them. Um, you have to just obliterate them with ink. I, th I think right. that's interesting <laughs> as well. Like you can prove that it did its job. You can prove that it served its purpose. Um, so that was really fun for me. And, and that was how I got into it. Of course, the artistry, um, you know, the stories behind the stamps is always really interesting too. how stamps have been used for propaganda by different governments and how stamps have, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's sort of the, the social connotations behind stamps, I think are very interesting as well. Nowadays, most people are used to, um, you know, going to the post office and they get a flag stamp and they don't really think much about it. Maybe they go buy the new Star Wars or Harry Potter stamps, but stamps used to have a lot more um, cultural gravity, I feel. And who did and didn't make it on a stamp um, really told you a lot about who was in power. And I think that part of the story is really interesting as well. That's true. That's very, very true. I but think, also, I, I, I think we sort of take the designs for granted today. Yeah, it's just, mm -hmm. just a flash. Yeah, I, I never thought of it that way in terms of the social political uh, theater in terms of using stamps, but that is very true. Um, and then and going back to what Michael said, it's very, his... His answer was very has a lot of similarities to card collecting. Know what I mean? Oh, Which, very much so. And the the opposing views aren't so opposing. They they work in synergy <laughs> with each other. Well, I, I feel like we just sort of yeah we we've gone like backwards on everything. Mm -hmm. I feel like Michael started <laughs> on the dealer side and then became a collector. And I flip. We're just uh, uh, I guess complementary in that regard. It's, it's almost <laughs> like the whole uh, idealist and uh, realist. So hmm. I'm the idealist, cancer realist. So uh, it's the same thing with in your world too. So, so, gentlemen, not too long ago during the last week in July, the National Sports Collectors Convention, uh, which is very uh, well known for us card collectors, was held at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Chicago. Interestingly enough, you both re just recently attended the Great American Stamp Show in Chicago at the same venue that ran from August 12th to the 15th. What was that like for the both of you, and how was the turnout for it? So, and I, I mentioned when we spoke briefly last night, I went to the National in 2000 when it was in uh, Anaheim. So that was my last uh, real card show. Uh, and I didn't realize that we just missed it. Had I known, I would have tried to go in a week early or something to, <laughs> to catch that for a day. But it, this is a big deal for us because like most hobbies, I'm sure card collecting is the same. There's been this um, real lack of uh, in-person interaction for the last year and a half. Um, there's been a lot of Zoom meetings. That's why Michael and I started our podcast was just to, you know, catch up with people during the pandemic, but um, no amount of that can replace shaking someone's hand or digging through a box of right. envelopes or that sort of thing. So um, there was a show in San Francisco two weekends before uh, that was um, sort of the uh, the appetizer before the big, you know, Great American Stamp Show put on by the American Philatelic Society is the big annual national show. And um, 2020's edition was virtual and it was fun. Um, but to, you know, it, it really felt like we were back. It was sort of the first time since March of 20, what was it? 2020, I guess that, um, that I, I felt at home again. I felt like, uh, our, our world had sort of returned to normal, taking all proper precautions and whatnot, you know, not being reckless by any means, but, but it right. felt like we were back. Yeah. 
the the show before that was Nebraska in 2019, and attendance wise, I feel like it was it was almost similar. It was yeah. no neck, I would say. Yeah, um, it I, really I, I was. Think there's yeah. been a lot of pent up demand for something like this. Mm-hmm. Chicago is mm-hmm. a great central location; it's easy to get to from everywhere, and uh, and, and yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to be back. Yeah, cool. great. Uh, for those of us in our audience who are not familiar with stamp shows, when you're on a stamp show, what does one do? For example, is it similar to sports car collecting shows where there's a lot of buying and trading that gets done on the show floor? Yeah, so there's a, a bunch of different ones. There's You can start out with just the basic Borse show where it's just regular dealers with their stock inventory. You go and you just buy there. There may be like a little kids booth or an activity booth uh, that you can go to. But these much larger shows like the one in Chicago – there's really, there's an auction going at the same time. There's all these exhibits. Oh. Uh, at, um, what, how many exhibits? 800 frames? I of think exhibits? there were 1,000 frames. Yeah, 1,000 frames of exhibits. Exhibiting, and I, I, I hope we can talk about that more because I feel like that's a piece of the hobby that um, uh, people don't, outside of the hobby, don't really know about. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that there's competitive stamp collecting. Yeah. Um, and people spend their entire lives and their entire fortunes trying thousands to, and thousands of dollars. <laughs> exactly. Trying to, you know, collect all the right pieces to tell a wow. story. And then there's accredited judges, both on a national and international level. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like, I feel like it's the, um, the, the IOC versus like the NFL, like you've got the national circuit and then you can sort of graduate and go to the Olympics or something. And um, people take their competitive stamp collecting and exhibiting very seriously of course there's all sorts mm-hmm. of um you know behind the scenes politics and uh you know just like <laughs> oh, yeah. with any competitive league um so yeah, that, yeah that's one part of a stamp show. again yeah you've got the dealers you can go by but um my, michael i didn't mean to interrupt i know it's, it's a huge I, I part right? I mean, part of it is just fascinating yeah, yeah you ahead, were michael. talking about people going all over the place i mean mm-hmm. we were talking i was talking to one gentleman um after hours about he'd won a large gold and I was asking him what he was going to do and what this meant for him now. And he said, Oh, this is fantastic. I'm going to London. I'm going to Cape of good hope. I'm going to Munich. I'm going to, and he's got to go to all these different places to exhibit his, his stamp collection so that he can try and win this massive international award, but he's got to show it at all these different, it was just, it was phenomenal. Uh, and it's just, yeah. Can you kind of explain to our aunts what the large gold is? Um, Charles, you might yeah, so, know so, a bit more um, about that one. <laughs> so, so when you show your exhibit, and uh, basically what an exhibit is, um, there's what are called frames, which are a picture of big mm-hmm. um, sort okay. of eight frame, picture frame sort of thing, where you can fit 16 uh, regular letter size pages in it. Okay. So, um, so you, you tell your story sort of in units of 16 pages, um, all the way up to 10 frames, which would be 160 pages worth of material wow the the accredited judges go through and they look for certain things what's the importance of your collection what's the presentation like how rare is your material and they give you points on a scale of of one to a hundred and there's different metal levels so it goes from silver to large silver to vermeil to large vermeil to gold to large gold which is uh the crowning achievement that's like a gold medal at the olympics if your stamp exhibit gets a large gold that's um that's the the cream of the crop so I guess in our world, uh, we don't have anything like to that level, but besides bragging rights, we do have that. <laughs> but there is a, uh, a subset of collectors who are PSA collectors, or PSA is professional sports authenticators. They slab the cards in those, those rigid plastics, uh, and they give you a grade. 
And some of the PSA guys, they have they're part of this PSA set registry, and you get awarded if you are the best. You have the best registry of a particular issue. So we have that. However, I'm it's a bit, a bit amazing how global this is because stamp collecting is a global phenomenon. Uh, trading cards is mostly an American, Canadian, North American phenomenon. It's just starting to reach the global global stage. Um, I do. I had a kind of comical thought. I don't know why, but it's like the the it has a very same similar circuit, like the, the dog show. Absolutely, like dog, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's Ab the same. Yeah. I, I, I was talking. Have you guys seen the movie Best in Show? Yes. Okay, so I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who who's in the stamp hobby, and he said his dream is a movie about stamp shows like Best in Show, uh, sort of a, <laughs> a, a, a loving uh, sort of mockumentary about the world because th there are so many similarities. To the to the dog show world, um, you know, a lot of these hobbies, you know, you, there's a lot of the same same blood that you know comes from the same place. So I think that's a very apt analogy because it draws in people who wouldn't, who might not necessarily go to a show otherwise. You know, people have their own oh, that's circles. True. Yeah, and right. If you know, visiting the Bourse is nice. A lot of the auctions is nice, but you can do some of the bidding online now. But if they didn't have these exhibits to go to, if they didn't need to win these awards, it's bringing in people who have these kind of collections to the show now to just specifically exhibit, to specifically try and win these awards who might not have attended the show in the first place because they can they can do it via phone bid. or. It know. allows also for the museum, traveling roadshow slash museum aspect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a, good, it's a good way. So one of the things that collectibles in general struggle with and I think all collectibles have this is to have their niche group. So there's a core, mm -hmm. a very niche core group that love everything about stamps or everything about trading cards. Then you get the periphery. So you're like the periphery is like, I don't quite get it. There's nothing really in it for me. And then when you have a museum aspect, like, oh, okay, I'll go check it out. And all you need is, you know, if you take digital, for example, you need a 2% conversion rate. So for a hundred people go and 2% 2 of people convert and turn into collectors, then you've won. Go ahead. I was going to say, the last thing I'll say about exhibiting, too, just to tie it back to, to sports really quick. Um, the American circuit is called the World Series of Philatelic. So <laughs> hey, interesting. interesting. There's about 30-some-odd shows throughout America every year that are WSP qualifying shows. And then every year, there's the, um, uh, the, the Champion of Champions, where the winners of all... 30 of those shows go head to head. So the way people sort of, wow. you know, figure out, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and win in Sarasota or Seattle or Portland, because all you need to do is notch your victory at one of those shows to make it to the champion of champions. Uh, but I think that terminology world series is funny how they draw from, um, you know, professional sports to, it adds to the, um, the pomp and circumstance of the whole thing. <laughs> well, that works because the World Series, and you just made, you also mentioned a, a soccer reference or football reference, the Champions League. So there's a Champions League in football where, mm -hmm. sorry, so soccer, American. Now I'm forgetting which one to call it. In now soccer, you're speaking Michael's language, by the way. <laughs> so going down that 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 hallway of thought, um, there's a lot of synergies in terms of like the, the trade-offs between the way we think of the uh, thing. Already in the first 18 minutes we've chatted, we've gone down many different tributaries of thought. So um, <laughs> this is awesome. And uh, what I want the we want the, the crowd who do watch us now and live and, and after is we're not that different. We're all kind mm -hmm. of the same. We have exactly. our own venue and our own like uh, vehicle to do the collection. 
but with all our quirks and little competitiveness and you know fires are all there. Anyway, sorry, um, I lost track of where we are with our questions. Kent. You're you're next. Uh, um, the story. We're curious to know your story. Oh right, all right. Sorry. So I, when I get it, when I get you know uh, guests are good when I've forgotten the questions and <laughs> probably so. All right, so I'll reset here. First of all, before we go there, I want to say hi to Dennis. Oh, yes, yes. Hey, Dennis. Thanks for coming by. Dennis checks out all our shows regularly. Thank you for coming. And we have Name, who's Indigenous Rookie Card Collector. So for Michael uh, and, and Charles, he collects only rookie cards of NHL players of Indigenous uh, descent. Wow. So it's a, it's a, he's fairly well known for that. I love the specialization. I'm used to people just yeah. trying to complete a set. You have to get the yeah. whole top set or whatever. But the fact that, you know, again, the the um, uh, black hockey players and the indigenous, I think that's fascinating that people find their uh, their own little niche. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's what we want to show. There's more than just the, what's the word I'm going to look for? The pop culture aspect. There's other, other not, not so pop culture aspect of life mm -hmm. uh, we're collecting. All right, so back to the question. Make sure I stay on track here. Um, so we're curious to know your story. As the two of you decided to collaborate and do a show, and you're, you're here today, and your show is quite popular, um, what led you to create your channel? How did you two meet? Tell us all about it. So we met. Um, our, our meeting story, our origin story, is kind of long-winded. There's a, there's a um, group within the larger organization in, in America called the American Philatelic Society. And there was a small uh, group within that led by a gentleman named Alex Hyman uh, called the Young Philatelic Leaders Fellowship. So we were both members of that fellowship. We applied and you, I think you believe, I believe you have to be under 28 years old and over 18. So yeah. over 18, under 28, we both applied and we were, one year after the other, I was 2013, he was 2014, and they send you to different shows. Um, so my first show was in Milwaukee. Charles's first show was in Hartford, Connecticut. And um, we kind of started the, the, down the, the, the organized the philately path that way. Young people yeah. might not have the resources to go to stand yeah. shows or get to know the right people. So it's a great program they have where they yeah. sort of foot the bill for all of your travel and make those introductions. And I know it's what kept Oh, going. wait, they actually foot the bill? They do. Yes. They get, they, they yeah. get very wow. generous uh, sponsors who, um, you know, no. cover airfare and hotels and everything. Because again, I was I was fresh out of college. I wasn't. You know, I didn't have mm -hmm. a job yet. No way would I have been able to travel across the country for a stamp show. And without yeah. that very formative experience, they probably wouldn't have kept me so interested in the hobby. So it, uh, it it's it's a wonderful program that I I can't speak highly enough of. That, that's impressive. So can yeah. You should. We should ask our friends in the collecting world to pay for us to go places. <laughs> we should. We should. We definitely should. Anyway, that's uh, food for thought. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh, go, no, go ahead. I was going to say I was going to ask for your side as well. So go ahead. Um, yeah. So, so we didn't actually meet until um, twenty eighteen, right? Twenty seventeen in Monaco. That part of that initiative there um a man named uh, patrick messias Macellus um Macellus, uh pays for some specific young philatelists as well to go attend a very prestigious stamp show in monaco called monaco phil so charles and i actually met for the first time in monaco in 2017 and um kept in touch since then and then when the pandemic hit we 
kind of reached out to each other. And uh, no, and, my, my, and... Michael's being too humble. <laughs> I, was, I, I was in the car driving to look at a stamp collection, and I get a Facebook message from Mike. We'd met a couple of times. He'd come by my office mm-hmm. for lunch. We knew each other, and we're and we're friendly with each other. But I get a Facebook message from Michael. Hey, can I give you a call? So I, you know, send him my my cell phone number as I'm driving, and he calls and he pitches this idea for a podcast. And I said that sounds good to me. I didn't want to let on that I'd never actually listened to a podcast before. <laughs> I didn't really know what they were. I was like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Because um, it's the pandemic. You're just looking for things to do. You're looking for ways to pass the time. I sure. wasn't going into the office every day. So, uh, so again, my, it was not a, a joint idea. I, I want to be very clear. So it's Michael okay. and, I'm, and I'm just along for the ride. So please don't be so uh, humble, Michael. <laughs> I love that you admitted that you don't know. I didn't know what a podcast was. That, that's no, like- I immediately, I, I immediately googled like, what? How do you listen to pod? I didn't realize it was like an Apple application. I'd never noticed the app before. Uh, so yeah, I, I very quickly briefed myself on podcasts, and then I wrote a Mac, and I was like, "Hey, I'm thinking more about this pod." And then I was like an expert on podcasts. I listened that's to like an hours worth, and I was like, "I had all these ideas." But no, my, all credit goes to to Michael uh, for for the uh, for the idea. That's the advantage of texting, because you'd be like, "Yeah, I know." What the hell is he talking? About? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was like trying to impress him with like podcast knowledge, but um, but yes, that, that was how it started. It was you know we um uh you know I I'd been going to shows, uh, Michael. I you think you were just starting to look to go to more yeah. shows right as all of this broke out, which was unfortunate. Um, mm-hmm. And it just gave us a chance to connect with people we hadn't seen in a while. Um, you know, we have a lot, Michael and I have a lot of mutual friends in the hobby. And I think a lot of it was we just missed some of these people and thought, let's touch base with them. Um, but also to track down new people who maybe live on the other side of the planet or have a job where we don't really interact with them. Because mm. we didn't want it to be, and I, I think we both agreed on this early on, that we didn't want it to be just stamp collectors and just people that we were used to seeing at stamp shows. We right. wanted to, you know, attract a, a more diverse, um, you know, people who are sort of stamp adjacent. Um, oh, yes. Yep. So we spoke to, um, you know, one of the uh, the, the PR uh, spokesmen for the USPS. And we've spoken to college professors who use the mail in their teaching. You know, one of them uh, uses um, uh, the mail to teach American literature. How did mm. literature and mail interact? They're very sort of... Um, off, off beats, maybe not the right word, but but interesting approaches to the hobby that Michael and I, you know, we sort of get blinders on. I think we're we're so involved in the hobby on such a regular basis, and and it was fun to get to hear all these differing viewpoints and perspectives. You know, people who you might not think are collectors, or you know, all sorts of different things. So that was sort of the genesis of it. Was let's just hop on Zoom and talk to people when we can't go anywhere. That's that's cool, and I love like the thought process behind it, like meeting people. Uh, since Kent and I started this show, and to be honest, we're only on episode 31, I think. So, yeah, 31. We didn't know three quarters of the people that we, until we started reaching out. Like, yeah. we wouldn't have known name. I, I knew of name, but not as well as we got closer with them because of the show. And I wouldn't have known Dennis, who's watching right now, and a few other people. Um, so, we've gotten, we've expanded our knowledge base substantially, right? And at the same time, we've gained a serious number of friends, which is also good. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and I, I was going to say, Michael and I go to a, a stamp show, and it's fun to meet like the people who comment on YouTube. And they come up to yeah. you know, we, we interviewed. We actually interviewed a guy in San Francisco who had been commenting on all of our videos. And we saw him, and we were like, we'll just, 
will you talk yeah. to me? Come on for it. So it, it's fun to have that sort of interaction. Um, and I'll also say uh, that, again, I, I knew Michael. I liked Michael. We were friends, I would say. Uh, but this has really brought us together as well. And it's been, um, you know, my, Michael and his wife, Kaylee, um, uh, have become, you know, two of my closest friends through this podcast. So that, that's been another fun element to it as well. I don't think Michael and I would have been forced to talk to each other as much as we have <laughs> uh, if we weren't involved in a project. Right. Like that, and that's been that's been a lot of fun. It's yeah. actually my wife is kind of concerned because I get giddy with talking to all my collectible friends and my friends are all over the world. And it's like, what are you doing? I want to go talk to my buddy Darcy out West. I got to go. go. It's like, what is wrong with you? And I tell her, I'm your safest husband in the world. I don't leave the house. I just need a phone and looking up cards and talking to my friends. That's all I need. Um, so when you started a show and channel, you, the two of you wanted to try and get guests for your show to kind of tell us like, what did people feel like when you reached out and said you want to be our guest? Like, were they flattered? Were they unsure? Were they like, who are these two Cracker Jacks? What are these guys doing? Yeah, so we reached out to people we we knew. We started with Alex, who kind of put us together. And then we reached out to people that we'd met before, and they were incredibly supportive. Um, we got nothing but... Uh, a ton of support from the people who didn't really understand what it was we were doing, didn't understand what we were trying to accomplish. Um, but, but they, you know, we owe kind of everything to them because they were the ones that, that started it. And they were such interesting people that they got people kind of hooked on the idea as well. I'm sure you guys have experienced the same thing where once you have like, you know, 10, 20 episodes, it's really easy to write someone and say, here's what we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, true. Right out there. We had those those first couple of emails trying to because Michael and I hadn't even really formulated what we wanted it to. We were like, "Yeah, we're just going to talk yeah. for like thirty <laughs> minutes, an hour. We don't, we don't, however long the conversation goes." So, um, yeah, th those first couple of people who who joined us without knowing um, what we were doing uh, that was that was really um, uh, very touching in a way that mm -hmm. they were just willing to say yes to to us, even though we were making it up as we went along. So, and then again, then once you get a couple under your belt, you sort of, um, I think get a bit more confidence and you have a body of work to show and it, uh, yeah. becomes less, less awkward to cold call people. Yeah. It's also, I have a whole new respect for journalists and researchers who do this professionally. It's mm -hmm. not easy to get up there in the first show. And we'll talk about this later, but the first couple of shows, I'm pretty sure I sound like a bumbling idiot trying to figure out fumbling over my questions and trying to figure out what was going on. But now I feel definitely more comfortable and, and definitely reaching out to people and Kent, Kent does most of the reaching out, but um, it's easier, way easier now you have 31 shows in, right? And for you, I think it's 67? 67, 67. Yeah, we just yeah. celebrated our, our one year anniversary a couple of weeks ago. So we've had a yeah. couple of uh, extra episodes mixed in. So yeah, we just, we just celebrated a year uh, recently, which um, simultaneously really? feels like we've been doing this for 10 years. And <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you are ten years from now, and then you'll be like, yeah. you'll be like, wow, I sound way different. Um, so the one thing that's fairly obvious is both of you are very young. Um, Kent and I are at that point where midlife crisis is is either setting in or coming very soon, or has passed us and we haven't seen it. Um, it's funny in stamp collecting, you guys would be the next youngest after. Yeah, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And formula in my beard, and it's funny because I watched one of your YouTube shows, and I'm watching through, and I'm like, "There's a lot of older guys in that hobby." Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, so it's good to see younger people because all collectibles in general, forget trading cards or whatever it may be, 
in order for the hobbies, collective hobbies to grow, you need to bring in people who are younger to who, to enjoy it. So the fact that you two are both young, that helps uh, the game plan overall. So um, like I said, we mentioned you're young and it's a, you talk about stamp collecting as an older person's hobby. How do you use your, your medium to make sure you educate younger people to come in or get more younger people to come in to kind of grow the hobby from that, you know, the podcasting and your angle? I'll start with you, Charles. So I, I think that um I think that stamp collecting is, is unique in a way because you know baseball cards are always gonna be cool to kids. Kids are always gonna love baseball cards. Um coins you're always going to use every everyone's gonna know what a coin is. But with stamps, I feel like for much of the hobby's history, your early exposure to stamps was using them, was licking them and sticking them on an envelope. And that sort of um uh you know gave people a familiarity with them from a very young age. So when it came time to collect something, it was natural because you'd been looking at stamps and tasting stamps and using stamps on a very regular basis. They're not, to most people, I would say they're not inherently as fun as a baseball card. When you get like a Mike Trout card, that's more fun than a stamp with the Statue of Liberty on it. So <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest problems facing the hobby right now is you don't have that initial exposure. People today don't know even what a stamp costs because now they're forever stamps and it changes all the time with Congress. So I, I think that that lack of early exposure is one of the biggest things we have to overcome. Um, but, you know, Michael and I have talked about this youth fellowship. We are huge uh, supporters of this program. We're actually uh, planning on uh, hopefully sponsoring a youth fellow next year. I think that programs like that, um, you know, a lot of kids are interested in collecting stuff. Um, you know, people are forever or you know whether whether you know hobbies are getting older or whatnot they're going to be born with that gene they're going to have a natural inclination to collect and i think it's really about um you know and then likewise there's always going to be people who have no interest in collecting you know there's people who you couldn't turn into a stamp collector or a card collector <laughs> no matter how much you try so i think it's about identifying sort of the high potential youths and providing them with the resources that they need um, to be able to fully explore the hobby. So, so for, you know, um, I, I think that, you know, um, a lot of teachers try to incorporate stamps into their lesson plans, um, or at a stamp show, they'll have a, like Michael said, a youth corner where people, you know, kids can fill a bucket with stamps and take it home. Um, but I, I think the more important thing, rather than just casting a wide net and trying to turn everyone into a stamp collector, what Michael and I are trying to do whenever we meet a young person who shows that, you know, the, the spark has to be there naturally. And it's up to the hobby to provide the kindling to allow it to. Mm. But I don't. I'm not sure you yeah. can create a stamp collector in a in a test tube necessarily. There has to be some uh, natural inclination. So um, again, that's that's where Michael and I sort of come in. And uh, yeah, hopefully people see us and realize that it's not just a bunch of bunch of old guys. And you know, you can you can be young and successful and have a great time in the hobby, uh, no matter what age or uh, you know gender or, or whatnot. You know, it, it you know. Um, Stamp collecting has a reputation, I would say, um, that's that's a bit uh, unfortunate. That that it's an old, stodgy, um, you know, not a not a not a cool hobby by any means. Um, you know, when I tell people what I do for a living, I get laughs more often than not. And I, you know, I, I I've embraced that. I I, I totally get that. But um, I hope Michael and I can can sort of change that perception a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So go ahead, Michael. Give your your perspective. No, I mean, that, that raises some incredible points. I mean, thinking some of the greatest philatelists that, that we know came into the hobby specifically because they received mail that they thought was interesting. Not the mail itself, but, but we, Wade Soddy, someone we interviewed very early on, told us that he was brought into the hobby specifically because he received 
kept receiving envelopes with the Liberty series on it. So, which was a series of stamps in the 1950s and 60s that's very popular amongst collectors. Yeah. So that that's what brought him into the hobby, and now he's one of the most prominent, successful professional philatelists of you know of of our time. It's weird to say, but. but he is, and that's what brought him in. And then, then you see countries like Iceland who get rid of stamps entirely. So what you think of, they're not, they're not issuing stamps anymore. So how is that, that medium for bringing in new collectors in Iceland is completely out the window? Yeah, I don't know, if, I, I don't, I don't know how big this news story was outside of the stamp world, but Iceland yeah. stopped issuing new postage stamps. Iceland yeah. said, we're losing money on stamps. Everything's going to be, you know, printed meters and... Um, like the Pitney Bowes meters and everything. Uh, so mm-hmm. Iceland is a stamp-free country these days. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, that's really funny. weird. Okay. It sounds it sounds <laughs> kind of funny about stamp-free world. I get I get what you're saying. <laughs> um, but there's a couple of things you you both touched on. So one in uh, so not only so a lot of people focus on kind of the wrong thing. Like we need to use in a hobby. You need to use in a hobby, but you need to the desire needs to be there. There needs to be a kind of understanding what the mentality of a collector, a collecting mentality is a bit of a OCD, right? You have a, have a little bit of that and you, you push it into the direction of either stamp collecting or trading cards. Um, the other thing that we try to do on this show is show, you know, there are a fairly a lot of prominent women who collect mm-hmm. trading cards. So it's not just a men's that uh, right. men's job to collect cards. It's, and then our job as men is to kind of show that it isn't just all men. There's women in this hobby too. They deserve equal treatment and respect. And you guys are doing that from a youth perspective and showing, you know, different diversities in, in that point of view, right? So an inclusive nature. So you have that idea. We have that idea. And collectively, pardon the pun, we'll do that together as a group as we con- continue to do what we do best on podcasts and whatnot. Um I'm glad to hear you guys talk about that because that's important. I think a lot of people look at like I just want to make a quick buck and get out, but you got to have more people spending those quick bucks yeah. to keep it alive, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, again, stamp collecting has this image of being not going to lie, a bunch of old white guys <laughs> stamp show, and uh, and I, I hope that our our guests have um, done some small part to disprove that that uh, mentality. And they yeah. will. You just need to. The, the advent of, I'm going to call it a, a positive benefit of COVID, it, it forced us all to go online and expand the horizons and see the world for what it is and who it can be. So, the, you know, we wouldn't have met people. We wouldn't have met. We wouldn't have been able to imp, uh, impart our nature on people. People, the, These videos are, for, are forever. They're always going to live on YouTube, right? Even long after we're gone, YouTube's still going to be there and they're going to find this video. Uh, whenever you have children or you get married, your kids are like, oh, what did daddy do? Oh, let's go tell oh, He's on YouTube. Let's check this out, right? <laughs> it's like a ancestry.ca kind of thing. You know, it's like uh, um, you get to see your legacy and you do an important service for your, your hobby. So I uh, thank you for that. We, we, no, we're we're, we're, we're yeah, having fun. You. We're trying to give back. We've had so many people who are generous to us, who have supported us. Yeah. You know, when my, my first stamp show, I... I thought I knew a lot more than I did. Um, and I, I sort of went in, you know, thinking, uh, and, and the people who took time, and Michael will, will tell you the same thing, the people who took, you spent the time with us and sat down with us and explained things, even though we were nothing, really. Um, you know, we, we've had a lot of very generous people impact our lives. And if we can provide a similar role to just a couple of people, everything we, we do is worth it. Yeah, awesome. exactly. 
So go ahead, Kent. I just realized we're at 37 minutes. We haven't even gotten through one-tenth of our questions. So this is how good a, a good conversation goes. So go ahead, Kent. So, so gentlemen, comparatively speaking, if you had to compare episode number one to the very first, uh, from the very first to the latest episode, which is number 67, how do you both feel after the completion of episode number one, and what have you both learned along the way to your latest episode? Michael? I mean, very feeling very different. I remember specifically after episode one thinking that that was pretty good. I'm not sure. I, 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 I thought, yeah, we nailed it. In my mind, it sounded just like the podcasts that I was listening to. Yeah. Like yeah. NPR <laughs> podcast. I was like, that's what Michael and I just did. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I, I think we've really learned a lot about the medium. We've incorporated mm -hmm. more show and tell. You know, people will share their screen and um, give us a peek into their collection or their jobs. I, I think we've really uh, – and, and the other thing that we've been able to do um, – is we've done episodes where we're in person, um, yeah. which is as much fun as it is to hop on Zoom with someone. Um, you know, I've gone up to Michael's office and he came down to New York and we've had some great experiences and at stamp shows. Um, and I think that's one way that it's grown as well. Um, you know, we were sort of, because of COVID, we were locked into a routine. Right. You, log on, mm -hmm. you talk to someone, we record a little intro and outro. Um, I want to give out a shout out to Michael's sister, Claire, uh, who does all of the editing and makes oh. her episodes sound a lot better than they have any business sounding. Um, but, but I, I think that we've really um, figured out how to um, uh, utilize the podcast medium in a much better way, where it's mm -hmm. not just log on, log off. It's, um, I, don't know, yeah. I, I, I think we're trying to um, just mix things up a little bit. When um, we started with episode one, we really had no plans to do any in-person go to shows, right. view stamps, view collections, break down collections, interview people in person. We we didn't have any plans for that. We just thought, yeah, we'll log on to Zoom. We'll do this. And we didn't know what, we knew we wanted to do something, but we didn't really have a, you know, long-term goal. And now I think we really do. We, we have, you know, we're planning episodes out for November, December, where we're visiting people at their actual houses. We're talking about their collections. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's the feeling is a lot different from episode one to, epi to episode sixty-seven to to now, where we're at a stamp show talking to actual collectors, just walking around with a mic. It feels a lot different than uh, than yeah, my list of questions that I started off with. To be quite honest, and I'll, I tell clients this all the time, I wish I could burn episode one because I don't think it sounded good at all. I don't, I don't think I've actually gone back and listened to episode one since we did it. <laughs> I, I have. I've gone back, and it's like a memory. Like, don't do this. Don't ever do that. For, for me, it is still that perfect piece of podcasting that I yeah. was, and it'll always mm -hmm. be that way in my brain. <laughs> yeah, because our guest was was someone we, we hold so near and dear to ourselves. So, And he he's an incredible speaker. And he, he, you know, he just, he nailed it. And so we didn't even need to be there. Awesome. Yeah. Our first guest was a, a very prominent uh, figure in our trading card hobby. His name is Billy Celio. He did us a huge favor. He didn't have to. Um, he helped us out and was our first guest. Poor guy sat through two and a half hours of us asking questions. <laughs> it was, no, it was like three and a half hours. Yeah, three it, was, hours. It, was, it was about, it's a three and a half hours and it was about three hours too long. Um, it's like, so we've learned since then that we need to keep it to about an hour and a bit, hour and a half max. Mm -hmm. 
Because after about an hour and a half, your brain just starts to melt. It's just like we just can't keep it together. Um, sorry, can't go ahead, buddy. No worries, no worries. Um, so me and I, we particularly love this quote that you often quote, Michael, and it's by Dr. Shell uh, Gans about getting new people into the hobby. And her quote was, "If we want to bring in more philatelists, we have to stop talking to only collectors." What is it about this simply a powerful sentence that resonate, resonates with the both of you? So with me, it was the the context meant a lot because at the at the moment when she said it, she was talking about building exhibits for the Smithsonian National Postal Museum. So oh, wow. she was talking about because that's what uh, she used to be curator of the Smithsonian National Postal Museum. So she was talking about building exhibits that were tailored not only to collectors but to people walking in off the street to try and bring them in and show them that postal history can be interesting, stamps can be interesting, but that you can learn history through stamps. So it mm. it meant a lot to me as a quote specifically because she was talking about, we need to, it, it's about exposure. It's not just about, we need to target these people and bring them into the hobby, grab them in by the collar and just, you know, show them, Hey, collect stamps. It's, it's, you know, showing people that it's interesting. And then the people who have that collecting gene, like, like Charles had mentioned, will get hooked. So it was, you, you need to just stop advertising to only people who already collect this material and show the people who don't that there's things that they may be interested in that they haven't experienced yet. And, and a lot of people will collect things just related to their profession or related mm -hmm. to the town where they were born. And yeah, you don't have to be a stamp collector in sort of the traditional yeah. sense. But I think, um, you know, Cheryl's spot on about that because you know, a lot of you just think it's um, you, you lick a little hinge and stick it on the back of the stamp and then you put right. a stamp in your album and you just try and fill in every gap. And, and that's that. And that's such a small segment of stamp collecting. Um, and, and, you know, Michael mentioned Cheryl uh, worked for the National Postal Museum. They do great things. They've got an exhibit mm -hmm. opening up, I want to say early next year, April or so. It's about um, baseball and stamp collecting. Oh, They've got items on loan from the Museum of American History. They've got items on loan from Cooperstown. And it's sort of telling the intertwined stories of baseball and stamps and how they've intersected throughout the years. And um, that that's how you interest people. You don't you know, stick a, a stamp album in their hands and force them to fill in all the gaps. You, so you almost have to, I hate using the word trick, but you have to uh, get people to be stamp collectors without, you know, um, uh, without, without them knowing. The image of stamp collecting is, is pretty isolated and, and boring to an extent. Um, but there's so many other ways to go about the hobby. And I think that's what, um, that's what Cheryl through her career and her various roles has done better mm -hmm. than just about anyone. It's like uh, show me I'm stamp collecting without showing me I'm stamp collecting. It's like that TikTok. One hundred percent. Yes. Uh, even my my mother never collected stamps in her life, and she she went to a couple of shows with me, and she started mm -hmm. collecting cats on stamps, just domestic. Oh really? On. And now she's got hundreds of stamps, and and you know I go to a stamp show, and she's like, hey, can you track down these stamps from Poland that have cats on them? And she's getting into it doesn't necessarily care about stamps per se, but she loves, you know, some of them are, are silly and, and some of them are really awkward photos of cats and some of them are just beautiful engravings of cats. And she can appreciate it because of her love of cats. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're stamps really. And I think that's a really important way of getting people involved. Yeah. 
Topical collecting like that, cats on stamps, is a massive part of, of philately that they, they have societies not only to embrace all topical collecting, but specifical the cats on stamps society, uh, things like that. And they have exhibits as well, specific exhibits for topical collecting. And it's just, it's, it's massive in the hobby. It's a huge demographic. So one oh. thing I will say is, so the, the language that you're using to describe your hobby, it's uh, very, I was sort of intellectual, right? So you're using uh, topical and language like that. That's something that's a bit different than our subculture. Our our subculture is, or hobby culture is riddled in idioms and things that people don't understand unless you're in the hobby. So like when you talk about, you talk, you're very elegant in how you explain some of the things. And it does sound elegant, for example, you're going to Monaco, like, to go to a show, like we're going to some backwoods town flea market. Oh, trust me, there's plenty of that in stamps too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But it's it's interesting to hear just the dichotomy of language used. So that's also I, I'm I I play off and learn stuff like that as well. Um, mind you, in every one of our hobbies, there's the the nice guys, the sleaze bags, and, and everyone else. We we deal with those as well. But I appreciate the how you guys are explaining it. So I want to thank you for that. So if you enjoyed that first 47 and a half minutes, um, click on the links below. Again, please go check out Cardboard Culture. We love what these guys are doing. We have become big fans of them uh, since they reached out to us. So, so again, if you want to listen to the rest of our interview or any of their other great conversations, please go check that out. Uh, but in the meantime, we are conversations with Philatelist. I don't think that we're going to give up this idea we had of reaching out to other hobbies. I yeah. hope there's a couple of podcasts that I really want to reach out to and uh, hopefully collaborate with at some point. Yeah, there's a couple that have already said yes to us, different antiquing podcasts that, that we're looking to collaborate with as well and kind of just and branch out from traditional philately, but st still with the directive of... Yeah, of we've all got it. the same disease. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, that, that'll be a lot of fun. But, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation uh, last night with, with these guys and uh, look forward to keeping in touch with them moving forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. See you guys so, on the live stream. Sounds good. All right.